In your Bible today, the book of Isaiah, if you'll turn there with me, please. And as soon as you find it, stand to your feet. Isaiah, in the middle of your Old Testament there, middle of your Bible, Isaiah chapter 9. If you would turn there with me, please. <clears throat> and then if you have it, why well, go to the book of Micah, chapter number 4. Isaiah 9 and Micah which is over to your right there. We just studied it a few weeks ago on Wednesday night. In the middle of the Minor Prophets, Jonah, Micah, Nahum. Jonah, Micah, Nahum. So you can find it there. Isaiah chapter 9 and Micah chapter 4. And the subject this morning is the magnificent millennial kingdom. The magnificent millennial kingdom. Chapter 9 of Isaiah, verse 2. The people that walked in darkness have seen a great light. Of course, that light is the Lord Jesus, a prophecy of him. They that dwell in the land of the shadow of death, upon them hath the light shined. Down in verse 6. For unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given, the child is his humanity. The son is his deity. The government shall be upon his shoulder. That has not happened yet. The first part of the verse is Christmas. A child is born. A son is given. Notice a colon there. And the government, that's the millennial kingdom, will be upon his shoulder. His name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, the Mighty God, the Everlasting Father, the Prince of Peace. And of the increase of his government, that's the millennial kingdom, and peace there shall be no end. Upon the throne of David and upon his kingdom to order it and to establish it with judgment and justice. Judgment and with justice from henceforth even forever, the zeal of the Lord of hosts will perform this. And that kingdom is described in Micah chapter number 4 and verse 1. In the last days it shall come to pass that the mountain of the house of the Lord shall be established in the top of the mountains. Now the word mountain there you might want to circle it. It means kingdoms. It means a mountain of power. In the last days, it shall come to pass that the kingdom of the house of the Lord will be established in the top of the mountains. It shall be exalted above the hills, and people shall flow into it. And many nations shall come and say, let us go up to the house of the Lord and to the house of the God of Jacob. And he will teach us his ways, and we shall walk in his paths. For the law shall go forth of Zion, and the word of the Lord from Jerusalem. Thank you. You may be seated. I've been doing this series of messages on Sunday evenings for uh, a number of weeks now. I think I've so far preached nine different times on our future hope our hope for the future. And I, it's a series of messages on last things, a series of messages on 
The theological word is eschatology, the doctrine of last things, the end times. There are four major points that I've tried to make so far, and the words all in or begin with the word uh, are. First of all, there's rapture. And then secondly, there is retribution. And thirdly, there's the word return. And fourthly, there's the word reign. Now, we've covered so far a number of them. If you look at the little chart that we made here, on the left-hand side there, Christ comes into the world. That's Christmas time right there. Christ comes down from heaven into the world. He goes to the cross, lives his life, and dies, and then he ascends back to heaven. You see the, first, the, sec, the arrow there. The Holy Spirit comes at the day of Pentecost and indwells every believer and makes a total change spiritually in the life of the world. We enter after the... Uh, Holy Spirit comes in Acts 2, we enter what we call the church age. Or sometimes we refer to that as the age of grace, the time when God deals with his people in grace, not under the law. The law is dead. The law is over with. The only purpose of the law is to show people that they need a Savior. And so Christ comes, and the Holy Spirit is given. He dies on the cross, resurrects from the grave, and then we have the church age. Following the church age, nobody knows how long the church age will last. We are in the church age right now. You are living in the age of grace. Now, at some point in the future, the rapture will occur. The rapture is described in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. I'll read just a very, the briefest account. Here's the rapture. The Lord himself shall descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of the archangel and with the trumpet of God, and the dead in Christ shall rise first. Notice, not all the dead, the dead in Christ shall rise first. Then we which are alive and remain shall be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. Notice the Lord doesn't come to the earth. He comes in the air. And we shall ever be with the Lord, wherefore comfort one another with these words. And so the rapture is the secret return of the Lord Jesus Christ. The rapture comes next. It's the next event on God's prophetic calendar. There's not another event to be looking for. The rapture is the next event that you're going to see prophetically. The rapture is imminent, which means it can come at any time. There are no signs of the rapture. Plenty of signs of the second coming. Signs of the tribulation period. Not one single sign of the rapture. It's a secret coming. He comes in the air. It is imminent. It may occur at any time. And uh, it will be sudden. And all the saved on the earth will be gone to be with the Lord. They'll be caught up to heaven. Then enters the point of retribution on our chart. Seven years there. We call it the tribulation period. And during the tribulation period, of course, it's the rise of the Antichrist. He comes to power around the world. And there's war, war after war after war. There's famine as a result of the wars. The crops all get destroyed in the countries where there's fighting going on. And of course, there's disturbances in nature 
natural catastrophes and phenomena like the world has never seen before. The sun will grow increasingly hot. There will be earthquakes. There will be solar phenomena, uh, works of God in the, in, the, in, the, in the solar system itself. There will be what I believe the Bible describes as nuclear war. And before the tribulation period ends, two-thirds of the world's population will have been killed. They will be destroyed. Now, that's incredible. When you think that we have about 7.2 billion people on the planet today, imagine that. And two-thirds of them will perish in this time. It will all climax at the Battle of Armageddon. And when the armies of the world are gathered right outside of Jerusalem at the Battle of Armageddon, then the Lord Jesus Christ will appear, and we come to the next R, that's the return. And Jesus will return to the earth. And uh, let me read you a brief account of that from Zechariah chapter 14. And it says here, The day of the Lord cometh, and thy spoil shall be divided in the midst of thee. I will gather all the nations against Jerusalem to battle, the battle of Armageddon. And then the Lord shall go forth and fight against those nations as when he fought in the day of battle. His feet shall stand in that day upon the Mount of Olives, which is before Jerusalem on the east. And the Mount of Olives shall cleave in the mist. It will cleave, it will break in two, because there's another passage tells us there'll be a great earthquake. And it will cleave in the mist thereof toward the east and toward the west. There will be a very great valley. Half the mountain will move to the north and half of it to the south, and so on. And the Lord Jesus Christ then will begin his reign upon the earth. And so we come to the final R there, and that's reign. Now, if you remember those four words, you got the whole picture of biblical prophecy going forward. Rapture, retribution, return, and reign. Say them with me. Rapture, retribution, return, and reign. Now, what is the reign of Christ going to be like? When I talk about the kingdom, when I talk about the millennial reign of Christ upon the earth, I'm talking about a literal reign of Jesus Christ with his saints. And you have your Bible open there to Isaiah 9. Just go over two chapters to chapter number 11. And Isaiah chapter 11 is one of the great passages of Scripture that describes for us the reign of the Lord Jesus Christ, the millennial period. And in Isaiah chapter 11 and verse 1, there shall come forth a rod out of the stem of Jesse. Stop. Jesse was the father of David, the father of David. And so this is establishing that somebody is going to come out of the stem or the rod of Jesse. There's going to be a branch, it says there, as you continue reading, that will grow out of the roots of that family. And it's speaking of none other than the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, how do I know that? On what basis can I say that? Well, don't turn there, but if you go to Matthew chapter 1 and verse 6, just note that there in your notes maybe. Or if you go to Luke chapter number uh, 3 and you go down in there and read about the genealogies of the Lord Jesus Christ. In both of those genealogies listed in the New Testament, Christ is said to be the son of Jesse. It traces his family tree, his genealogy, all the way back 
to Jesse, the father of David. So Jesus Christ is established in the Scripture as being the descendant of Jesse. And so this passage prophesies that one day out of the family of Jesse and out of the family of David, there will come somebody, and what's he going to be like? In verse 2, the Spirit of the Lord will rest upon him. The Spirit of wisdom and understanding, the Spirit of counsel and might, the Spirit of knowledge and of the fear of the Lord. And it will make him of quick understanding in the fear of the Lord. And he shall not judge after the sight of his eyes, neither reprove after the hearing of his ears, but with righteousness. Now here's the characteristic of his reign, the millennial kingdom. For the first time in history, everybody talks about social justice. There hasn't been any. And let me tell you, there's not going to be any. Because ungodly, wicked mankind is not going to be able to ever create justice in the ultimate sense. But here, you're going to have justice. With righteousness shall he judge the poor and reprove with equity the meek of the earth and smite the earth with a rod of his mouth and with the breath of his lips he will slay the wicked. And righteousness shall be the girdle of his loins and faithfulness the girdle of of his reigns. The reign of Jesus Christ, the descendant of King David, will come and rule in righteousness and justice and peace for a thousand years. Go with me to the book of Revelation chapter 20. You also find the millennial reign of the Lord Jesus Christ described in Revelation chapter 20. And turn with me and you will read there in uh, verse Let's see, in, in, in uh, Revelation 20, let's read the first verse. I saw an angel come down from heaven having the key of the bottomless pit and a great chain in his hand. He laid hold on the dragon, that old serpent, the devil, and Satan. Takes all those names of him. And it binds him for a thousand years and casts him into the bottomless pit. And they seal it up. They shut it up. They set a seal upon him that he can deceive the nations no more till the thousand years. See, he keeps mentioning this thousand years. The Latin word for a thousand is millennia or millennium. That's where we get the term. And he will deceive the nations no more till the thousand years are fulfilled, and after that he'll be loosed. Now here, I want you to look at this. I saw thrones. Thrones, of course, are symbols of authority, symbols of a ruler, kings, Princes sit on thrones. Ordinary people don't have a throne. So I saw thrones, and they that sat upon them. And who are the people that he sees sitting upon them? He sees the saints of God who back in Revelation chapter 19 came back to the earth at the rapture with the Lord Jesus Christ. And a little further down in the verse, you'll see that he also sees people who were beheaded, the martyrs who die for the cause of Jesus Christ, especially during the tribulation period. But this week we had a martyr. We have martyrs every day. People just don't know about it. We had this young man named Chow who decided he would go to this tribe of people that live off the coast there of India, the most remote place in all of the world. They say the, uh, a tribe that Nobody has ever touched or spoken to or talked to. And he said, I'm going to go 
and share the gospel with those people. They have never had anybody tell them in all of recorded history. And he went there, and you've heard the story on the news this week. They killed him, and they shot him full of arrows. And as far as we know, he died, and they buried him, they think, there in the sands of that island. So the saints who've been raptured, that would be you and me there. That's you. You can mark that down and put, hey, that's me. I saw thrones, and who sits upon them? Raptured saints and martyrs for the witness of Jesus and for the word of God, which had not worshipped the beast, neither his image, neither had received his mark upon their forehead or their hands, and they lived and reigned. Notice, they reigned with Christ. Do you know, Christian, that you're going to reign with Christ in the millennial kingdom? You're going to come back to the earth in the millennial kingdom with the Lord Jesus Christ? My goodness, I heard two little faint, timid amens over here somewhere. That ought to cause shouting among the saints of God. Amen? Do you really believe that today? That we are going to rule and reign with Christ on the earth for a thousand years? That ought to pique your interest, I'm going to tell you that. Do you know there's more Scripture referring to the kingdom of God in in the New Testament than any other single subject? There's more Scripture about the kingdom of God than any other single subject in the New Testament. You can check me out on that. Now, what is the purpose of the millennium? What's the purpose of the millennial kingdom? There are two specifically that I want to give to you, and I'll give one of them to you real quick. The first one is God has yet to fulfill all of the Old Testament covenants. You remember he made a covenant with Abraham. He made a covenant with David. He made a covenant we call it the Palestinian covenant. It's a covenant with all the Jewish people, with Israel. In the covenant, God unconditionally promised them a land, a tract of land that covers, oh, most of the Middle East today. Not just the little sliver of land that is today Israel, but it covers almost all the Middle East. It would include Egypt and most of Saudi Arabia and Jordan, and it would include parts of Iran and Iraq, and it would include Lebanon and Syria. It's a huge tract of land. All of that was promised by God to Abraham. Not only did he promise a land, he promised them that they would have a king. He would be a Messiah, was the Jewish word, the Hebrew word. The Messiah would be a man. He would not be God. He would be a man, a Jewish man, who would come and he would rule over that tract of land for a long, long period of time. And he promised them that they would be a mighty, mighty nation, one of the leading, if not the leading nation in all the world. That has yet to be fulfilled. Now, we've seen Israel come back to the land but they don't have all the land that was promised. They rejected the Messiah when he came the first time. And so he is going to come again because of his grace and his covenant promises to them. They have never been the leading nation of the world since the time of David, but they will be again. And you can begin to see little vestiges of that happening because they're right now the third or fourth greatest military power in the whole world. 
Their technological advancements are far beyond much of the West, much of uh, that's happening in America. I could go on and on and tell you about it. I just don't have time. But those covenant promises have not all been fulfilled. The millennium is necessary. The purpose of the millennium is God is going to keep his word. God does not lie. All of those promises will be fulfilled someday. But there's something else here as well. The millennial kingdom is the final chapter of history. When God reclaims and restores earth and its people to his rule and his blessing. Let me repeat that. Think with me. Are you thinking? Are you awake? Are you listening? Well, the holidays hard to get people to listen to you. I just know what happens to them. Too much turkey. And I think they inject the turkey with tranquilizers now. <clears throat> people come to church and their mouth falls open and their eyes glaze over. And, you know, I have to look at it. That's part of my persecution in this world. All right, you wake now with me, huh? All right. I want you to listen to this. The millennial kingdom is the final chapter of God reclaiming and restoring earth and its people to his rule and blessing to bring it back to where it was before sin ever entered. Think about that. Adam and Eve lived in the Garden of Eden in paradise. The millennial kingdom is going to be paradise restored. That's beyond comprehension, isn't it? Now, I want you to follow closely. I slowed down. I've got this marked here on my sheet uh, to remind me to slow down and take you through this because I really want you to get hold of this, and you'll grasp this today and never forget it, I think. God, first of all, gave Adam dominion over all the earth in Acts chapter 1, or I mean in Genesis chapter 1, verse 28. He gave Adam dominion over the world. Take the world, rule over it, over every living thing, over the environment, physically, the trees, the grasses, farm the land, develop the land, over the animal uh, kingdom. Adam had dominion. He had authority. He had power over the earth. God gave it to him. Number two, but Adam sinned. And when he sinned, now focus with me, He chose to obey Satan rather than God. And in effect, he gave Satan the authority. He gave Satan dominion. You know what Adam did? God gave Adam the keys to the universe. And Adam listened to the voice of Satan, and he handed the key to the devil. And he said, you can reign now. You're in charge. God, you're in charge. Or uh, Satan, you're in charge. God gave it to me, but I'm deferring to you. I'm giving you authority. When that happened, evil entered. And the earth came under the dominion of Satan. Everything changed. We've talked about the fall. You've been well taught on the fall. Everything changed. Evil began to dominate mankind and society. Now, Satan had no right to the earth. The earth was created for man and for God in his glory, not for Satan. Satan had no claim to it legitimately, legally, he had no claim. But we capitulated. 
Adam capitulated and gave it to him. And the Bible acknowledges that over and over. For example, in the book of John, chapter 12, again in chapter 14, I think it's in 16 as well, it calls Satan the prince of this world. Now, Jesus is the one who spoke that. Jesus said that the devil was the prince, the ruling authority in this world. Now, if you think he's not, just read the newspaper. Just, 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 just watch the news on television. Just look around at what is happening in our society. You really don't think that God is behind all of that, do you? Satan was given authority by Adam. When Adam sinned, man came under Satan's influence. That's the reason that Jesus Christ came. That's the reason we have Christmas here. Because in the incarnation at Christmas time, the Lord Jesus Christ comes to the earth. 1 John 3 and 8, let me tell you why he came. He made it very, very clear, among other reasons. He said, for this purpose, the Son of God was manifested to destroy the works of the devil. So God created Adam gave him dominion over the universe. Adam chose willingly to follow Satan and to listen to his voice rather than to obey God's word. When he did, effectively, he transferred his authority to Satan. And Jesus said, I came to the cross. I came to the world. I was manifested to destroy the works of the devil. And so the destruction of Satan's kingdom began with Christmas in the manger. Now, since the cross, or at the cross, I should say, Jesus Christ broke Satan's power. He, he destroyed Satan's ability to rule over man because what he did, first of all, is he paid man's sin debt. We all owed God a debt for our sins. Jesus Christ paid that debt with his blood at the cross of Calvary. And since the cross... Man's loyalty is being tested today with the gospel. Now, we talk about the gospel as good news, and the gospel is wonderful. It's the best news in the world. But listen to me. The gospel is not only good news. The gospel is a test. The gospel is a test. And so I stand here on the platform of this church, and I preach the gospel I'll do it tonight at the Christmas tree. I'll give a brief gospel presentation. I beg people to come and receive Jesus Christ as their Savior and their Lord. Implied in that is something else. I'm asking people to come here and switch their loyalty from Satan to the Lord Jesus Christ. I'm asking them to say, I am not going to follow my own desires and the world and the flesh and the devil anymore. I'm going to switch my loyalty to the Lord Jesus Christ who came in a manger and shed his blood on a cross for me. And so Satan is alive and well, going up and down the world seeking whom he may devour, the Bible says. What are his methods? He is a deceiver. And boy, has he not deceived humankind. He, is, he tempts us. 
He tempts us through our fleshly desires, the natural good desires that God gave us, whether it be for food or for sex or whether it be for rest or sleep, whatever. The legitimate desires of life. Satan takes those and twists those and and distorts those and causes us to long for things that God says we're not to have, to do it in ways that we're not to, 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 to do it. And every day, Satan comes and he tests us and he tempts us. He appeals to us through the world and all of its glamour and all of its enticement. He appeals to us through our own fleshly desires. And every day, you and I make a decision who we're going to follow. Whether we're going to follow our Lord Jesus Christ who shed his blood on the cross or whether we're going to follow the desires of our own heart and our own flesh and the world around us. No, we don't decide every day are we going to bow down to Satan, but he works through the world. He works through our senses. He works through the enticements of the flesh. He works through legitimate desires that we have and distorts them. And every day we make the choice. And most of the world makes the choice to follow him to listen to his voice. And man is in rebellion against God. One way to describe earth today is earth is a planet in rebellion against its creator. God made the earth, but the earth has given its allegiance and its loyalty to Satan himself, the God of this world. That's what Paul calls him, 2 Corinthians 4.4. 4. Now, man's rebellion will climax at the the, uh, battle of Armageddon. And Jesus Christ will have returned, and he'll put down that rebellion. And I want you, I've already read the passage, but go back with me to Revelation chapter 20. Satan, who has been going up and down the world as a roaring lion, seeking whom he may devour, now this angel comes down from heaven with the key to the bottomless pit. Some of the old Bibles call it the abyss. And he has a great chain in his hand. Is that that, uh, literal or is that figurative? uh, figurative I'm not sure. Is it a symbol or does he actually have a real chain? I don't know. But whatever it is, he lays hold on the dragon, the old serpent, the devil, Satan, And he binds him and casts him into the abyss, the world of departed spirits. And he shuts him up and he puts a seal on the door that he can't go in and out and do his nefarious work anymore in the world. And for a thousand years, the whole of the world changes. In the millennium, all that was lost when Adam said yes to the devil will be restored. And Jesus will come back and rule and reign. Won't that be wonderful? Jesus Christ will be the CEO of the world. He'll be in charge. He'll be president and the board of directors too. He'll run the whole thing. And that's a major theme in your Bible from Genesis to Revelation. Now, do you remember when the Lord was teaching us what we call the Lord's Prayer, the model prayer? What did he say for us 
to do in our prayer. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. What's the next line? Thy kingdom come. Stop. Every time we pray the Lord's Prayer, we're praying for the millennium. We're praying for the king to come. Most people never give it a thought. It's just a phrase. But stop and think about it. Jesus taught us to pray that that day would come. And when he comes, it will be the answer to how many billion prayers that God's people have prayed down through the centuries. And finally, we will see it. But don't stop there in the prayer. Thy kingdom come. He tells us what the kingdom is. Thy will be done. Now look up here. That's why I wanted to wake you up and I wanted to get you to listen to me. Are you still with me? You thinking with me? Thy kingdom come. I pray for the coming kingdom. Thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. How's his will done in heaven? Perfectly, isn't it? His will is carried out absolutely to the T every single day, every single moment in heaven. There's never any rebellion in heaven against God's will. So I'm to pray for the kingdom, and then he tells me what the kingdom is. It's where people submit themselves to the will of God. In the millennial kingdom, the whole world will be in submission to the will of God. Right now, the only place, now listen to me, I hear people talk about us working to bring in the kingdom and all that stuff. That's not Accurate. We're not going to bring in the kingdom. You can't have a kingdom without a king. You've got to get the king before you can have a kingdom. But the kingdom of God does exist spiritually this morning, not in the real sense of the king reigning over the whole earth of Isaiah 11. But where is the kingdom of God? Jesus said one day, even to the Pharisees, he said, the kingdom is within you. And the kingdom is about righteousness and peace. If you are a righteous person today, and you are living, you're seeking to live for the Lord. I don't mean perfectly. You're not some exalted saint. But you're a, a child of God. You love the Lord Jesus Christ. People like who are seated in front of me today and watching on television with me, and you're believers, you love the Lord, and you do want to please Him. If you want to please Him, and if you have surrendered your soul to Him, the place the kingdom of God is right now is right here. It's in the heart of God's people, people who are committed to the Lordship of Christ, and people who are submitted to the will of God in their life. They're not rebels listening to the voice of Satan one moment and the Lord the next. They're not perfect. They fall, but they get back up, and they begin to follow the Lord every time that they get up. And so Jesus defined the kingdom as being where God's will is. And the only place the kingdom of God exists on earth today is in the hearts of Christian people, people who have the lordship of Christ as a part of their being. Where is his will being done today? Only in the hearts of righteous people. His will is not being done in the government. They don't even want us to pray in school. His will is not being carried out today in the courts. 
They're the ones who make these ungodly rulings. And a man can marry a man, a woman a woman, and everything else along the line. His will is not being carried out today in education. Our universities have become incubators of atheism. His will is not being carried out this morning in business. Google and Facebook will take down your account if you say the wrong thing about the Lord Jesus Christ. His will is not being done in many places. Sadly, his will is not being done in many families. They don't live different from the world that's fussing and fighting and chowering at each other and, and uh, inability to get along and not much love for one another, everybody just doing their thing. And not in the families, the will of God's being done in so many places. His will's not even being done in a lot of churches. We've got churches now that are endorsing same-sex marriage. We've got churches that teach people that the Bible is not fully inspired. We've got all manner of heresy and false teaching in the, in the, in the name of Christ. No, the kingdom is where thy will is being done. Question. Is his will being done in your life? Is Jesus Christ the Lord of your life? You know, I don't preach enough on the Lordship of Christ. As I studied this, I thought, Bill, you ought to be preaching more on this. See, we got this idea in evangelical Christianity. I can pray that prayer and get profess Christ and believe in my head the gospel, and I can do anything I want. It's optional whether I go to church. It's optional whether I read my Bible. It's optional whether I live for the Lord. It's optional whether I live a worldly, sinful life. Well, it is optional. You have the choice. But I can tell you, Jesus Christ didn't die just to save you. He died to be your Lord as well. He died so that you could look up in his face every morning when you pray and say, Jesus, I submit myself to you. Today, there are going to be desires that I want you to help me not to follow. Today, there are going to be temptations. Lord, help me to shut my eye and turn and go the other way. Jesus, you're the boss. You're the CEO. You're the president. You're in charge. And I submit myself to you. That's his lordship. That's the kingdom. That's the kingdom. Now, to go back, though, to the kingdom of God when Jesus Christ comes, what will it be like? Right quick. Well, in Isaiah chapter 11 and verse 4, it says, He will transform the entire social order. He will rule with righteousness. He will rule with justice. Justice is not being done today, and so often you know that. He will rule with equity. He will rule with perfect knowledge. Isaiah 11.3 says he'll have quick understanding. His headquarters will be in Jerusalem, the capital of the world at that time. It will be a time of peace. Micah chapter 4 and verse 3 tells us. In fact, it describes it so beautifully. I want to read it for you. 
He shall judge among many people and rebuke strong nations afar off. They will beat their swords into plowshares and their spears into pruning hooks. They'll take their farm implements and melt them down and make, uh, or they'll take their weapons of war, rather, their swords, and melt them down, the spears, and they'll make implements of farming, farming tools out of them. Nation will not lift up a sword against nation. Russia won't be intimidating Ukraine as they're doing this morning. Neither shall they learn war anymore. Every man shall sit under his own vine and his own fig tree. People will mind their own business. They'll be peaceful people. Dr. Dahan, the great radio preacher, said in his book, The Great Society, listen to this, quote, The Bible is replete with prophecies of a coming age of peace and prosperity. It will be a time when war will be utterly unknown. Not a single armament plant will operate. Not a soldier or sailor will be in uniform. No military camp will ever exist. And not one cent will be spent for armaments of war. Can you imagine such an age when all nations shall be at perfect peace? All the resources available for enjoyment of life, all industry will be engaged in the articles of a peaceful luxury. End of quote. If you go to New York and visit the UN, you'll see there on a wall inscribed a quote from Micah chapter 4, verse 3 that I just read. But it's sad when you stop and look at that quote because the quote begins, he shall judge between many people and rebuke strong nations. That's not in the quote. Because you see, that would attribute peace to the Lord Jesus Christ. What's in the quote, it begins with simply, they shall beat their swords into plowshares and their spears into pruning hooks. So man wants peace, but we don't want it through Jesus Christ. We don't want it through submission to his lordship. It will be a time of justice. Revelation 19 talks about it will be ruled with a rod of iron. You see, during the millennium, men will still have a fallen nature. They'll still need to be saved. And there will be people who rebel, but they will be judged with his rod of iron that justice will prevail. It'll be a time of healing. The longevity of the early people in the Bible will be restored. Sicknesses will all be healed. Nobody will be sick. It'll be a time of economic prosperity and plenty. Nobody will go to bed hungry during the kingdom. Nature will be restored to its original pre-fall condition as it describes it in Isaiah chapter 11 and verses 6 through 9. The wolf will lay down with the lamb, the lion. The child will play on the hole of the cobra and fondle the snake and there will be no, no danger to him. And I want you to look in Isaiah chapter 2. And read one other simple passage with me. Isaiah chapter 2. Because the whole world will worship the king. The whole world will then worship the king. Isaiah chapter 2, verse 2. It shall come to pass in the last days that the mountain of the Lord's house shall be established the kingdom. And the top of the mountains 
and be exalted above the, above the hills. And all nations, imagine all the people of the earth flowing toward Jerusalem at various times. The plains will be full. The cruise ships will be loaded. And everybody will be saying, we're going to Jerusalem. Why are you going? They'll say, come and let us go up to the mountain of the Lord, to the house of the God of Jacob. He will teach us his ways. We will walk in his paths. For out of Zion shall go forth the law and the word of the Lord from Jerusalem. And he repeats it again. He shall judge among the nations and rebuke many people and beat their swords into plowshares and their spears into pruning hooks. Nations shall not lift up sword against nation and neither will they learn war anymore. The millennial, the magnificent millennial coming and reign of the Lord Jesus Christ. Well, look up here with me and let me remind you one other thing. In John chapter 3, verse 3, Jesus is talking to a Jewish rabbi. And do you remember what he said to that rabbi? Except a man be born again, he shall not see the what? The kingdom. I preached this message, and I hope I've just given you a, a, an expansive new vision and view of what God has for us in the future. But without being born again, Jesus said, you'll never see it. Your ticket to the millennium is your faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, is salvation. Paul said, I'm a citizen, our, our conversation, our citizenship is in heaven. He said, I'm a citizen not only of Rome, which he was, but I'm a citizen of heaven as well. I'm a citizen of the United States, but I'm also a citizen of heaven because I've been born into the kingdom of God. Doesn't that make sense? If you believe the Bible, it's a perfectly logical proposition. And I owe it all to Jesus and the cross and the gospel. I owe it to the fact that he came as a little baby in a manger so he could destroy the works of the devil, 1 John 3, 8. My challenge to you today, church member and Christian, is this. Is he really the Lord of your life? Every day is a test. Will I live for Bill Monroe today, or will I live for Jesus Christ? And you, every day is a test for you. Will I live for myself and put myself on the throne, or will I put the Lord Jesus on the throne of my heart and live for him. The whole purpose of our church, other than your salvation, is to help and encourage and train and teach and build you up so that Jesus is not just your Savior, but that he's the Lord of your life. And secondly, if you're here today and you're not saved, boy, I don't want you to miss out on what God has for people in the future. Make sure that you're born again. It's more important than being a church member or living a good moral life. Make sure that you've been born into that kingdom. You join the church, but you're born into the kingdom. There's a big difference, isn't there? Stand to your feet with me, if you will, please.
and bow your head.